Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. Dr. Corey Robin, our intellectual champ from Chappaqua. In part one with the darling doctor, we explore his early life in the cocoon of his upper middle class suburban community, where he went from being a fairly conservative kid to a liberal teenager. It was getting to Princeton, of all places, that finally opened the escape hatch to the left. Today, he's going to play hard to get. He thinks he's a tough nut to crack. He thinks that he's going to keep it buttoned up. But I, you know, I'm going to call his bluff. We are sitting here today with a gentleman who is not just distinguished because he has a wonderful quaff of hair, not just distinguished because that is a part of the title that he holds at Brooklyn College and CUNY Graduate School. Graduate Center. Yes. Uh, but he is distinguished in thought and analysis uh, that we could all use. We are sitting here today with Dr. Corey Robin. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you. Excellent. Um, what's up, man? I mean, before we get into it, just how are you feeling? How are you doing with everything? There's just a lot going on all the time, it feels like. How have you been? I've been pretty good, actually. Um, you know, the COVID year was a rough year. Yeah. Um, but my kid is back in school, okay. and so... That makes things a bit more manageable. It does. It's hard having three of us in a small New York apartment. Um, Which is lovely, by the way. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's not good for a 13-year-old to be mm. with their parents 24 hours a day. So. Absolutely not. I don't know how I would have... I don't know how I would have gotten through this if I were a teen like this. I, I do not envy young people or, or, or their <laughs> guardians or parents in this moment. Not at all. Um, so I'm extremely interested in getting to uh, the current moment because I would I've heard you say uh, before I've been reading and listening to you for a couple of years now. Uh, and I I at some point in the last, I don't know, year or two, I heard you say that there are part of the part of the work of the left right now in in the United States is to be able to identify uh, chinks in the armor that seems impermeable in terms of, you know, our political landscape and and being able to contest, uh, fight for and win the things that we need. I'm really interested in getting to that part because I think um, I think that that is more important than ever in light of the dereliction of duty that the current administration has heretofore uh had and you know i can i can only imagine it's inevitable that you know the previous president will run again in 2024 because he smells blood in the water and if that is the case it's we really have to be serious about identifying like the vulnerabilities in the system so i'm really excited about getting to that place but before we get to that place we're going to get to the first place uh where did you grow up uh cory 
I grew up in uh, Westchester County, New York, and okay. Chappaqua. Ah, uh, is yeah. that isn't that where Hillary got a house? Yeah, that oh, is. Okay, they came long after I had left. Um, but yes, and uh, so my family moved there when I was 1974. So I was about seven years old, six or 73. Okay, and yeah, and that's where I grew up. Where were you born? I was born in Cape Kennedy, Florida, right, you know, near NASA. Is your dad um, an astronaut? No. <laughs> He's the opposite <laughs> of an astronaut. Um, no, he worked for IBM, ah. and he was an electrical engineer, and he was involved in a lot of that kind of stuff. But, I gotcha. uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And what, what brought the family to New York? Another job or a family? No, or? I mean, we moved a lot when... Before we finally settled in, um, we lived in South America, we lived oh. in D.C., we, we lived in um, Florida. You know, we were just all over the place. Mm. Um, and then I think it was a big family of six kids. And, you were one of six? Yeah. Where are you in the pecking order? Right in the middle, number oh four. Oh, my God. That's why you're so, like, you keep it so buttoned up, <laughs> why you're so quiet. Somebody's and... got to hold everything together. <laughs> oh, my God. Six, you're, how many girls, how many boys? I'm the only boy. Oh, so you're uh, you're spoiled too. That's part of it. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's you not get, really true. That's one hundred percent true. What do you mean? No, no, no. You weren't spoiled. No. Would your Would your sister say you were spoiled? I don't think so. No. I don't think so. No. Why? Because I wasn't. Okay, tell me. <laughs> how do you? How? Why do you think you weren't? Um, why do I think I wasn't spoiled? Uh, I mean, we were all pretty much treated like. We were all raised as girls, basically, oh, okay. you know. Okay. Um, my mom has a very strong, you know, iron will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, she ran the show. And, okay. yeah, I wasn't, you know, no. to do all the same things. You know, okay. that we had. So you, you had, like, the same type of chores yeah, yeah. at the same frequency? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, what was it like growing up in a, a, fam- a big family? We don't even get to, like, see that anymore, understand that. But, like, what I are know. your memories of that? It's a lot of people. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, I, it, it was, I mean, I, I enjoyed it growing up. It was mm-hmm. fun having, you know, like, and we were all very close. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I enjoyed that. But I don't think I ever, I don't know how my mom and dad did it. Like, mm. it was just, um, I, we have one kid, uh, my wife and I, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's more than enough. Yeah, he goes, <laughs> that's plenty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. What um what did so did your mother work in in the home or outside of the home as well? She did when we were younger, and then she started doing other stuff when I was like in seventh grade, and okay. she went back to school, got her degree, and then started working in you know communications and stuff like okay. that. Okay, like telecom or no 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 uh, PR you know oh 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 I got you I got you okay um and you how did you how did you understand do you think you understood what your dad did as a child like as a young youngster like maybe ah, middle school and younger. You know, I, that's a really interesting question um, because I have thought a lot about what my father did in retrospect. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of intersections with history that I was not aware of at the time growing up. Uh, So, for instance, we lived in South America. Where in South America? Uruguay and Argentina. Okay. And it was just a time of a lot of political tumult. And, um, you know, my sister, my older sister Jessica, was very close with a kid whose father uh, was Dan Mitrioni, who mm. pe- some people on the left will know was kind of the trainer of the torturers in the Ur- Uruguayan Whoa. military. Whoa. Yeah. So there was, um, it was a, it's a, it was a different world. And, 
you know, especially now, thinking about, I don't know how old you are. Um, how old do you think I am? I'm not going to guess. <laughs> so <forget laughs> so smart. It. <laughs> no, I'm 35. You're 35. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so you're the generation I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I grew up, I think we are the tail end, my generation. We we're really just the tail end of that generation that could assume kind of growth mm-hmm. and all of these things mm-hmm. that... Upward mobility? Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, my my father was... Um, you know, both my parents were pretty, you know, lower. My, You know, my father was poor. My mom was kind of lower middle class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just for, for white Jews, you know, just that moment mm-hmm. of the sort of escalator. But, you know, for a lot of different groups, um, I think that the growth and not just upward mobility, but the fact that the American economy mm-hmm. expanding, expanding yeah. and wages going up for, you know, across the board for a lot of people. And that's, you know, gone. Mm. And so... I really feel like I, I grew up in a weird moment in American history. Because um, things were not so bleak? Why do you say, why do you call it weird? Yeah. I mean, because I, I think it was, you know, it was a long period of expansion mm-hmm. for a lot of different groups. Mm-hmm. And um, it was all, you know, it all begins to fall apart in 1973. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting for me to look back and think, you know, my parents without, you know, like they worked, certainly worked hard and all the rest of it, but it was like, it didn't take heroic feats uh, to be able to raise, you know, six kids in a fairly, you know, expensive um, suburb with a really good public school system. But what do you, so, so, so paint a picture for me. What do you mean when you say that? Was it that, you know, for, for all six of you, you know, dad worked, you know, 40 hours a week and we had we had a home where we weren't all living in one room on top of each other we had a car we took vacations we had we were able to you know celebrate the high holidays with our family members and I never wanted for anything materially like what do you what did that period of expansion mean for you growing up yeah I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't some of that yes uh you know we all had dinner together every mm-hmm. night you mm-hmm. know all eight of us which I don't know how the hell my mother did that she cooked all the meals oh yeah was she a good right. cook yeah she oh, was okay. right. yeah um and yeah, so it's a good question. So we did that. We didn't take, you know, a lot of vacations. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, I think, starting like in the mid-70s, as my oldest sister was going to be heading to college soon. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like, I mean, it was just, they were my parents were careful with money. Sure. You know? But yeah, I mean, all of us went to college, mm-hmm. um, you know, and my father, you know, IBM had amazing health care, mm-hmm. like health insurance. Like, mm-hmm. that, I think about the health insurance all the time. Sure. And, um, yeah, so th- those two things in particular, like education and healthcare, mm-hmm. which now, for your generation, like those are, you know, very much up for grabs. Yeah, that's right. You know, and all the debt that people graduate, and all yeah. that, I mean, you yeah, know. The whole thing. And, and, and when I say people, it's like, you know, everybody from the lower middle, cl- you know, from working class, lower middle class, all the way. Yeah. And you have to be super, super rich mm-hmm. not to worry about that or stuff. very very like randomly lucky like yeah. it's not anything you can you, you can even plan out like just kind of right things happen and break in your favor and it's like oh okay uh. and what you know what kind of concerns me is the ways in which things just get normalized yeah. that you know people come to just accept like oh yeah of course this is the way it's always been and mm. it's, the truth is it's not the way it always was. Right. Um, Nor again, is it the way that it always have, has to be. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I teach um, political theory. And, you know, when I teach Plato's Republic, I often teach um, 
as a companion with it, Huey Newton's Revolutionary hey! Suicide. Because there's some very interesting points of contact yeah. between them. That's and right. he talks about, you know, just going to like Sacramento State mm-hmm. and Oak, or I guess Merit, Merit City College, which is like community college, which is now Oakland Community College. Mm-hmm. And just the kind of education he got there. And this is like, you know, late 50s, very working class, yep. black um, area in, in Oakland. And just like just the world opening up for a lot of people. That's right. And, and it's just like shutting down for a lot of people now. Mm-hmm. And I just I what worries me the most is not just just that that happens, but that people who aren't necessarily all that politically aware or whatever, just think, oh, this is, you know, this is, this is the way it is, right. you know. And this is the way it's supposed to be, right. yeah, which is a problem. Mm, interesting. Uh, what, what type of kid were you? Were you very, like, if, if your family and or community were to describe you as a child, would we recognize you still? Like, or were you I completely so. different? No, no, no. I was pretty much, it, it shocks me actually how <laughs> similar I was. Uh, I was very outspoken and very uh, like outspoken in a, like a direct confrontational way. Like yeah, you know, like the world is flat, and you were the little like actually right. It's was, a sphere. I was, I was actually I was the actually guy. <laughs> uh-huh. um, you know, I think I was. You know, I think some teachers really liked me. Other teachers couldn't stand me. Like which which of you? I know you have to remember at least one. Which of your teachers couldn't stand you? Like which subject? Or oh, what grade? It, like Mr. Resigno in eighth grade. Uh-huh. He was like our social studies teacher. And I really like went after him a lot in class Why? and argued. What's that? Why? I was more conservative back then. And Ooh. yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. So, so, this is 1980. So this is like right around the Iran hostage crisis. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, you know, being of the like, this is outrageous. Mm-hmm. Well, he what was what was he saying that you were reacting to with your with your very conservative like outrage? Like, what were the things that he was teaching, or the, what was the pedagogy around? You know, like, uh, what was that? That's a good question. Um, just kind of standard, like, still seventies liberal positions. Like, we should, there should be cooperation and international diplomacy. You mm-hmm. shouldn't be going to war mm-hmm. so quickly. Um, I don't remember the domestic stuff. So, oh, well, that's not true. I I think I was like. Well, no, I was just, I was going to say, like, did I talk about taxes and things like, I don't really, like that I don't really remember. Uh-huh. Um, but I was, you know, I was, uh, I was, uh, what's the word? I was kind of passionate about um, these things. And I mean, still am. Mm-hmm. And um, I was either not afraid or if I was afraid, I felt a very strong um, obligation to fight against being afraid. Afraid of? You know, like a teacher or something oh, like okay. that. Like right. I wasn't going to back down or, okay. you know, bullies and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I wasn't a, a fist fighter. I had no, I was a total physical coward, but I yeah. <laughs> I refused. I, you know, wouldn't, you know, cower. Um, in the face of confrontation. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah. Did, were you in this particular social studies teacher, like, did you guys always get into it? Like, was he, was he like rolling his eyes when, when you rolled in his class? Cause like, oh God, this, uh, here comes, here comes Mr. Opinionated. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, actually. I don't really, I mean, I felt like we would often argue, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know what it, you know, when you're a teenager, you're a total narcissist and you, know, you see everything <laughs> like 
through your lens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have no, I mean, maybe from his perspective, he wouldn't even remember who I was. But uh-huh. my memory is, is that we- Would you get charged up on the way to class? Like, yes, I just read the National Review last week and no, I, I got never something. Read, I never read the National Review. But, no, um, okay. Uh, what, what? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I liked I liked school, okay. you know. Yeah. I really, I was one of those kids who liked- And you were a good student. I was a good student. Yeah. Okay. All right. All throughout school? Yeah. Was you never had like a like a rough patch of like, oh, I'm bored. I'm this is dumb. No, I mean this is what I fight about with my kid a lot because mm-hmm. they get bored and mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't understand that. I I really don't understand that mm-hmm. at all, getting bored in school. I, I know that like there are bad teachers that sure. can be boring and but um yeah, you know, I, I I do I did love school and I love school now mm-hmm. and um in fact, I, I kind of feel offended by anybody who gets bored. Really? Um, yeah. Because you, when you say that you weren't bored or you don't understand how someone could be bored, what do you mean? Because I think, um, again, knowing that there are really boring teachers. Like, sure. I've had them. I've seen them. Yeah. But I feel like there's always material there. There's mm-hmm. like always stuff to notice and be attuned to and huh. be surprised by. Mm. And like that's our job. Sure. Um, all of us, not just teachers and intellectuals, but like is to notice things that are just kind of um, not being noticed. and Because to notice them means, or would mean? Well, one, it makes the world more alive huh. and, and less, how did you say? No, no, no I'm saying ha. Huh. Oh, these are just okay. active listening, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, and two, you brought up earlier about like chinks and you know little mm-hmm. spaces and things like that mm-hmm. in the armor. Mm-hmm. And from a political point of view, I feel like that's absolutely critical ah. um, to uh, notice those, you know, those things that are being unseen that offer opportunities ah. that might not be um, perceived otherwise. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, from a pedagogical point of view and with students in particular, like, you know, I'm, I'm just always shocked at what. And I want to be careful when I say this because I, I, there's a lot of sentimentality among professors, particularly professors who teach at a place like CUNY, which sure. is working class immigrants, yeah. students of color. Yeah. And people get very, you know, sappy about it. And I can't stand that. Mm-hmm. However, you know, I, what I've always been stunned and shocked by is just what students are capable of doing when mm-hmm. they're given a real text and not like pablum bullshit, yep. but like something real that... Mm-hmm. Um, has something to say Mm -hmm. and are confronted with that and sometimes can't understand it, but work it through in class where we can and then what they bring to it. Mm. And they, my students will oftentimes tell me like they've never done anything like that before. Uh. Nothing like that has been ever been asked of them. They've never been. And it, it enrages me Mm. um, just the, the, the just the the trough of mediocre like just the the crap that people are given and told like this is life ah and i think noticing things is part of seeing just what the you know what what could be out there huh. what were some of the things that to use the 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 verbiage that you just used what were some of the things growing up in the in an educational setting or religious or civic etc setting that you that were some of the things that you noticed that 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 broadened the aperture of possibility for you 
I think that probably didn't happen until a little bit later, uh, more in college when I started reading certain kinds of things. Uh. Um, I had a great political theory professor in college named Sheldon Wolin, who was just one of the great political theorists of the 20th century. And he was a real reader. And, you know, I remember we would, I, I was a freshman and it was like a 9 a.m. Monday. I mean, I'm not a morning person at all. <laughs> so it was like a real thing that I went to every class. I never missed a class, mm -hmm. you know. And we started with Machiavelli's Prince. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, it, it opens with this letter to, and I won't get into the details, but, you know, he just started picking at a sentence and asking what was there. And um, it just it was that kind of interpretive view of the world that... Um, made me then start looking around at, you know, things like popular culture and um, and then things like politics as well. Um, and, you know, as I said, I grew up, you know, I was kind of a very typical Gen X person. And in high school, I became, you know, more liberal, but still like kind of within the orbit of, you know, the New Republic and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. pretty mainstream kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you just took certain things for granted. Like? Um, and what are some of the things you took for granted? Gosh. Uh, what were the, some of the things that I took for granted? You know, well, I mean, where I grew up, you know, just that like, you know, I, we had 272 kids in my graduating class. I think like 40 of us went to Ivy League schools. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. And I don't think, I mean, I knew there were poor people. Sure. But it was a complete abstraction. My world was just this world of upper middle class, white, overwhelmingly white, suburban life where you know, everybody, well, first of all, everybody goes to college. Yeah. And a lot of us are going to go to quite good, you know, That's right. uh, schools. And just that, um, you know, the smart kids would go to the good schools. Mm -hmm. Like that there's this, um, you know, there's this escalator. Uh -huh. And... You ride on it depending on your talent and your skill. Right. And that, you know, of course. And then I went to college and I went to Princeton. And it's like, well, you know, I was a good student. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And all of that starts falling apart, you know, when I'm in college uh -huh. and just thinking about like, huh. I mean, you know, really about social class. And yeah. then later I would say more about race and gender. Ah. Um, but really about social class. Mm -hmm. um, and... Yeah, uh, like just the the sheer on the one hand accident that we, I was born into this family. Sure, um, you know that that's a question of just luck. Yeah. You know yeah. that of uh, you know born into a certain level of wealth and a race and of and of a gender, mm -hmm. um, and then um, beginning and then slowly beginning to understand that it's not just like oh other people don't have these advantages but that like there's a relationship between those who don't have that and yeah. those who do That's like right. it's it's not just uh, something to feel sorry for other people mm -hmm. or like compassionate about but that one is the condition of the other yeah they and are related that's mm -hmm. you know that is a very i think hard at least for someone growing up in the milieu that i grew up yeah um it's a and I, I think actually for everybody, to yeah. be honest with you, like I said, I have tons of working class students of and seeing these connections between like where they are 
and the larger social structures. I mean, you know, people can kind of say, yeah, everything's systemic and blah, 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 blah. But really understanding it like in a very nitty gritty, like Mm -hmm. this choice that I made and this, you know, and this path that I went on, Mm -hmm. uh, this thing that I was pushed to. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, and and, and I think people don't, I I, I don't know, but I, I, the invisibility of a lot of this to people who grow up in upper middle class mm-hmm. areas is kind of hard to um, overestimate. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, what Thomas Frank said. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. It really is. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't know how, it's interesting. I've never really thought about it, but like, I don't know how exactly they cocoon you so much. Mm. Um, but you really are cocooned. And I'm, I'm sort of interested, it, mm-hmm. you know, I don't teach at a school like that you know, wealthy school, but I know like there's a lot of interest in, interest in racial justice. And- but looking back, how do you, could could we walk through possibly now as, as an adult, as an extremely educated adult, like how you, how you think you were cocooned? Certainly location has a place yeah. or, uh, or place or geography right. uh, is a part of that, but also um, could it not be uh, sort of uh, the the communal norms um, that are, that are um, enforced and, and, um, and, enforced and reinforced and reproduced not just in the adults uh of of that particular community but in the children but like what else are what else was a part of that cocooning for you well i think in in a way you just said like the the norms are cocooning and they actually now that i'm a parent you see how children police each other like it's really important in a way that i don't think i would have been aware i mean you're 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 the victim of it you're the you know whatever but you don't think about it that much mm-hmm. and um you know that cocoon the norm that's being enforced is like c- really competitiveness yeah a kind of strong ethos of individualism mm-hmm. and if that's the norm um it's it's an inherently cocooning norm yeah you know what i mean it's yeah. like where you end up is all about you yeah that's right um, and it plays in, again, I talked about the kind of narcissism of being a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of those things, mm-hmm. you know, and then I guess the last thing, and I think this is a little bit more generationally specific, was, again, this, this sort of Gen X moment, like, it was just a lot of contempt towards activists. Ah, uh, uh-huh. I mean, it was all, it was like, and it was both overt and subtle, mm-hmm. you know, just like movies that was all a about. A lot of, yeah. are you... A lot of contempt towards activists because you were you were you were just you were just younger, you were a bit younger than the the generation of like you know the sixties hippies. So oh okay so maybe you you all were. uh, Are you saying that you all were maybe indoctrinated um, as a result of of that movement of like you know these people are I don't know fill in the blank unserious dirty yes uh, unserious is the perfect word at least for somebody like me who was very serious oh yes (laughs) (laughs) and unserious and irresponsible Ah, you know were uh like things that I loathed and I saw that in that I wouldn't say it's like a generation above me but it's it's like people who are like ten years older yeah um. 15 years older because remember you know the backlash against the 60s begins in the 60s but is yep. you know the 70s is really you know when everything is falling apart from all that stuff and okay. so you know you kind of grow up with that view of it's not you know it's not like an ultra right you know kill them all kind of a thing yeah it's more like 
I'm going to be, you know, that's, and I've spoken to a lot of other kids, uh, kids, um, people Mm -hmm. my age. Sure. You know, we all had, you know, for a particular class and race, we all had a particular, you know, we all had that sense of like, you know, you want to, you know, you want to make a a shrewd sound argument. You don't want to just like sit on a, and scream, you know, kind of a thing. And um, you want to be serious, Mm -hmm. you know, and that if you are serious, Mm -hmm. you'll make it happen. And so, I mean, I remember um, my freshman year of college, like I was really beginning to be very concerned about nuclear weapons. Mm. I went down with a group of um, people to protest, I don't know what it was, some funding for some missile program. Mm -hmm. This would have been 85, 86. And it was a lot of people like Catholic priests and, Mm. you know, people like that. And I I just felt completely um, out of place. Why? Because they all seemed like kind of hippie-ish, oh, okay, and, okay. you know, like, and you flaky. were more serious. Exactly, okay. I was serious. You know, I had all the arguments about why, you know, da, 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 da. sure. Um, huh. Interesting. And I think for me, I would say the the real political awakening. That ah, happened, we're not there. We are not there. Do not try and skip over the good stuff, sir. We're gonna get there to your political question, though. To back to your pre college life you you now describe yourself as upper middle class but did you have an understanding of your family and your community's class maybe not as such growing up uh no if anything i would have said we were middle class why why would you say that um why would i have said we were middle class i don't know the answer to that but i i will say that like i just it did not seem like we were rich why well, because first of all, we lived in a town where there really were like ultra rich people. Who, but how like, did you understand them being ultra rich relative to you not being ultra rich? Every weekend they would go skiing. Ah, you know they had summer homes, mm. um, things like that. I see. Uh, they did take vacations all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, they they wore new, you know, new clothes mm-hmm. and you know that kind of. And they wore, I mean, back then it was like you know Izod shirts and you know, <laughs> oh my god. It was, it was, you're lucky you didn't grow Waspy up. Waspy threads. Yeah, yeah. exactly, uh-huh. exactly. And they, you know, they had a kind of, um, you know, not that being Jewish was like in any way um, lower class or anything, but they, they, yeah, I mean, this is still a moment where like waspiness, I think, mm-hmm. really means something in a yeah. way that I'm not sure it does anymore. I could be wrong. No, it's not as pervasive as it used to be. Yeah. It used to be associated with, it used to be more, I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it used to be more readily associated with uh, an exact class location and and kind of like yeah. cultural and racial norms. Whereas right. now it's it, that's I think that expectation or that understanding is a bit more diffused. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. And you know now I mean uh, nobody in my family lives in Chappaqua anymore, but you know. I don't, from what I can tell, it's not like as waspy as it, you know, once was. You know, like when I was growing up, like if you were Italian, you were kind of marked as like. Not quite white. Exactly. Yeah. Huh, huh, huh. Interesting. Um, And, you know, obviously even more so in, you know, places like Brooklyn and all the rest of it. But like, yeah, you know, it's, um, it was a marker of not being quite white. It was ethnic Mm -hmm. and it had an overtone of working class. Mm-hmm. And so like Italian, yeah, like that was slipping down, uh, you know, in that way that ethnicity and class and race, that stew of it all. Mm-hmm. Jews weren't like Italians because we were smart. Right. right. 
you know, if we're going with all those stereotypes, yeah. but we still weren't waspy. Yeah. And so I think that was also part of it, you oh, know, okay. not feeling like we're um, upper middle class. Sure. You weren't yeah. blue bloods, um, right. but you weren't Italian either. But why, right. so why now do you, so you would have, you, growing up, you would have described your, your family's class standing as middle class. Why in retrospect now as an adult, would you describe it as upper middle class? Like what's that point of differentiation for you? I mean, it, yeah. upper middle class is a, is another funny term. Sure, because like, what does it mean? I know, Americans <laughs> Americans are so weird about class mm-hmm. and um, obsessed with it on the one hand, but it's also the markers of class are, are multiple and murky at the same That's time. That's right. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird class structure. Mm-hmm. Um, why, I mean, just in relation, I mean, I, I think I had no concept of like, what's the median income? Mm-hmm kind of a thing. Of course, you were, yeah, um, you were a child. But, you know, you begin to see like, wow, I mean, like there are other towns even in Westchester that, you know, are much less wealthy and where the graduation rates are, you know, nothing like they are here and where um, home ownership is nothing like, you know, and you begin to just sort of, and, you know, just reading a lot of history, these major battles about busing yep. in New Rochelle and yep. Yonkers, mm-hmm. Um, which are like Southern Westchester. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, oh, here's a good example. I don't know if White Plains, does that name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have some family who used to live there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So White Plains to me was like, you had to be careful in White Plains. Ah, uh-huh. You know, and maybe it was because like, instead of no black people there, it's like 30% black mm-hmm. and like, you know, 20% Latino, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it, but it's still like, relatively speaking, you know, pretty wealthy suburb yeah 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 so you just all none of you know it's funny like you were saying unaware like in a way you are aware because mm-hmm. you're nervous to yeah. go into certain places yeah so there's clearly like something is being mm-hmm. taught and conveyed and all the rest of it mm-hmm. but you're not aware of it in any kind of analytical way of saying sure. like okay hold on a second here you know yeah 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 but so to that point did you do you have what was your ah and this might make you nervous i'm and don't be i'm just trying to understand did you have a sense of uh or what was your sense of like race relations because i it sounds like you came of age during a time where it wasn't it wasn't thrown in your face like it would have been during you know you know uh, mid to late 50s early 60s when like integration is is just kind of popping off it certainly wasn't now where you know we kind of we very much take for granted the to the extent that uh, cities right and suburbs are integrated even though they are still very segregated we still kind of we kind of take that for granted now you're kind of in that kind of post civil rights but but not fully accelerated into this this uh, checks mix <laughs> right. uh, kind of situation we're in now. So like, how did you understand that? Like, did you, was it, was it just kind of that, was it kind of that kind of throwaway kind of whisper understanding of race? Just like, oh, he's going to White Plains this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, hope he, hope he doesn't, you know, bring too much money in his wallet or, or was it, or was it more formal or how do you remember it? How did you situate it? Wow. That is a tough question. Um, on the one hand, when you're there in Chappaqua, mm-hmm. which is like almost no black people at all. Even when you were growing up? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a few, but sure, not sure, many. Sure. Um, if you were white uh, growing up, 
you know, I think um, for the most part, it's it's completely off the register. Oh, I, I mean, I, it we, didn't occur to you as it did. You didn't you didn't think anything of the fact that, and I'm just throwing out a number here that you know in your high school there were five no. black people. It didn't. It's no. just like. It is, that's it's that's like the, the kind of white supremacy, the gays that uh-huh. people talk about. Like uh-huh. that, there's truth to that. Yep. Like, and it was yeah, it was normalized. Mm. It was very normalized. I mean, I think um, I went to I used to go to music and arts summer camp in West in Northern Westchester, and I remember I was I played the piano, and Victor was from Yonkers. He was black, mm-hmm. and it was like the first. You know, we lived in the same bunk, mm-hmm. and it was you know probably like really the first time that mm-hmm. I was dealing with you know, in an ongoing way with another black person Mm -hmm. and, you know, ongoing and sort of, because we were both pianists. Sure, sure. Um, Did it freak you out or were you intrigued? He was, he was a tough, he seemed like a tough kid, Uh Um, but we ended up, um, I first learned about Rapper's Delight from him and it would have been like 1979, 1980. Uh And I didn't realize it at the time, but I, I knew all the words because he had taught them to me. Whoa! And but I had no idea yeah. that this thing is happening out ah, there. You didn't. You weren't even aware. No, of this no, movement. no. I remember when I went to college and like, um, you know, some, you know, a lot of not not a lot actually. I would say some kids, mm-hmm. some students mm-hmm. were into hip hop music or rap. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it was called. That it wasn't called hip hop. I don't think. And um, and it was like, oh, mm. this is a thing. Like. So that was a part of your cocooning also. You were cocooned yes. from the a, a culture outside of this kind of waspy yeah. enclave. It was really, huh. boy, as I'm talking about it, it was really quite sheltered. I mean, obviously it was sheltered, but sure. it was cocooned. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're really shut off. Oh, interesting. In a lot of ways. Mm. And that, and do you, were you, ah, was part of that being shut off? Nah, don't ask it that way. Yeah, you you made an allusion earlier, not allusion, you mentioned earlier that one of the reasons you like clashed with your social studies teachers because you were very conservative. Like, was that because you had absorbed and internalized your 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 parents' politic or ideology? Like, what was that growing up? Or how yeah. did you understand it growing up? Yeah, I mean, I think my parents were like, you know, they were strivers, you know, hmm. and they, you know, you work hard and, yeah. da, 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 and if... You know, if you're getting welfare, you know, that's because you're lazy mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Oh, you know, okay. it was just all um, and coded racially sort of in the background, of but course. not overtly. Sure. You know, you wouldn't state it that way yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. Um, you have to be polite about it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's a very genteel, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's right. thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was... Um, it was that, yeah. Okay. And was, but you, you, you understood that as a child to mean like, you know, everybody has bootstraps, and it's your job. If you want to do well, you you gotta work hard, and you know, put your nose to the grindstone, or however yeah. you put that thing. And and that is that is what will be the determining factor of you know you doing well or being good or living a good life or not. Ah, okay. Um, hmm. was it was part of that fed by was part of that fed or or uh, fueled by like how your your family understood things religiously or were those no. two things very separate? Very separate. Okay. I mean, you know, we were reformed Jews, which is like, you know, practically being Episcopalians. <laughs> um, I mean, we were ethnically Jewish sure, sure, right, and, right. you know, my parents were never, um, you know, we were very outwardly identifying sure. as Jewish and proud of it. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, reformed Judaism is is a nightmare. And uh, <laughs> Why do you say that? Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. Why? Because it's, it's stuffy? 
in our synagogue, it was stuffy. Like there would be an usher that would seat you mm. as if you're going to a Broadway show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was. It so was, it was like it was actually quite waspy. Yeah. In the oh, way it was yeah. operationalized. Yeah, there was a an organist, which in, in most synagogues you don't have yeah. an organ or a choir. Yeah. It's not like that's church. Yeah. Huh. Um, and so I, I really fled from that as well. Eventually, um, not Judaism, but that kind of Judaism—the stuffiness of it, the stayed, the the, stu- the stuffiness, the state, but also the emptiness of it. Because like the prayer book is like written in this kind of English that there's like very little Hebrew. Oh, and you know Hebrew is this incredibly archaic language that mm-hmm. um, when you read—I mean, I can't really read Hebrew, so I'm not going to pretend. But like when you read the good translations of it, mm-hmm. you know it. It really cuts against the grain ah. so much, and the, all that is wiped away mm. in these, you know, uh, reform prayer books. So it's just it just ends up sounding like, you know, all we are is dust in the wind or something. Yeah, just <laughs> blah. You know, it's well, it's about noticing. Like, there's nothing to grab. You know, there's nothing to notice. There's nothing to grab a hold of. Uh huh. There's there's there ah there's no uh, there's not a tradition there. There's not a right. there's not a fight. There's not a fire. Exactly. Milk toast like. Blah. Exactly, okay. and and uh-huh. and it's funny you should put those two words about tradition and a fight and a fire because that's that's what Judaism is. Yeah, yeah. and it's what a good tradition yeah. is. It's yeah. not just stuffy and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's agon- It's antagonistic. That's right. And it generates conflict. That's and right. it's above so- which you the religion should help you rise exactly and, or see a way out. Yeah, right. Hmm. Interesting. So. Ah, okay, so when it was time for you to go off to school, I presume that because of the environment you grew in, that was 100 uh, percent expected of you. Like there was never a question. Yeah. Um, but like, did your did your family, did your community like have a dream for you when you, it was time for you to go off to school? Like Corey is going to be our blank. Like he's going to be the the lawyer of the family, the doctor of the family. He's going to be an engineer like Dad. He's going to. Yeah, I mean, definitely not uh, nothing scientific, you know, because that was not my. I mean, I was good student but like i was definitely more humanities ah. social studies oriented uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah i don't you know um i don't know actually what my parents thought they weren't they didn't you didn't feel the pressure any pressure of expectation from them on you when you left no the school? no i all the pressure like was all internal okay. i mean that, again that's the kind of norming sure that you live in i mean you know i wanted to do really well and i think you know when i left school i wanted to either be a journalist or a a, a lawyer but like an advocate lawyer not you know like a aclu i got really interested in like free speech stuff and the aclu i even though you're still kind of on this conservative track no so in high school i become more a liberal yeah why what happened a couple of things. I mean, first of all, I had a couple of teachers that I had a tremendous amount of respect for who were uh, very liberal. Mm-hmm. And unlike earlier experiences, sure. um, you know, these were not people I could like they dismiss. They were people I aspired to be like. Ah, uh, okay. And uh, so you didn't fuss with them like you did your other social no, studies teacher no, no, no. in these middle like, school. They were we I got a really good education. I feel like I learned more in high school than I did in college, <laughs> to be honest. And um so Partly that, and I also was really active in the student newspaper, mm-hmm. um, and I think that really there was a lot of kids who were kind of more liberal, and mm-hmm. it just started rubbing off on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the first person in my family, fourth kid, first person to register as a Democrat. Really? Yeah. I mean, this is what people like. People don't remember, like, you know, the Republican Party was quite different. 
Oh yeah, um, night and day. You know, back then it was and, more respectable. In you know, and there was had a broader Republicans. Appeal. You know, also uh-huh. um, this our senator from New York up until 1980 was uh, Jacob Javits, who was a kind of liberal Jewish Republican. Mm-hmm. Lowell Weicker in Connecticut was a liberal Republican. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them yeah, in the yeah, Northeast. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, I yeah, so I you know was um, yeah I was a I was a liberal. Um, you know, 1984 is Walter Mondale. Uh-huh. So you know, it's it's a big fight about the direction. It's a big fight about Reaganism versus yeah. something else. And so yeah, so I became. I became a liberal of the of the kind that I now dislike quite a bit, um, which is it, it all fits with the striver and the hard work uh-huh. and the you know um, the neoliberal conception exactly of the self exactly uh-huh. very much so ah, and you know the meritocratic yes meritocracy and uh-huh. so. Did that cause any friction in the family? You becoming the first, you know, I mean, now I'd call you a shit lib back then, but did that cause any <laughs> friction like at home or not really? A, li- you a guys... little bit. Okay. I mean, my grandfather was very conservative mm. and um, we were, you know, all very close with him. He's my mom's dad and he would stay with us. And I mean, we all were very close, but Bubby. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, you know, he and I used to argue. I mean, I remember we used to watch Nightline, you know, ah. a, a lot together, and okay. we would argue a lot. Uh-huh. So there was a little bit of friction, yeah. but but not I, of the sort that was like rupturing the fabric of your no. Family. And you know, this is another thing I think that's related to cocooning, which is that I think there's a kind of, or there was then, a sort of apolitical quality. I know this sounds weird to a no. lot of upper middle class people. Mm-hmm. Like part of being oblivious to the world around you is that you don't like politics you don't take that seriously like i think because you don't have to right exactly Uh it's just it's it's provided you know um and so you know my family didn't really talk about politics that much Mm. um and i think that was pretty typical back then sure i suspect it's different now um you know it's like there's all the resistance liberal types and they're all suburban and you know Uh um but so I would say between like 10th grade, 11th grade and like my third year of college. So we're talking about a from 15 to like 20. Mm-hmm. I was a kind of, yeah, what you shit lib. <laughs> and, um, and I feel like that's really, I mean, that was less interesting. Uh-huh. The, the move from being a kind of conservative kid yeah. to a shit lib was, you know, whatever. It, it was wasn't really, a seismic change. It wasn't. Because no. in Princeton couldn't have helped that because Princeton is terribly conservative. Like even to today. There's like chastity clubs. When my I friend think, told me that, I freaked out. I, was like, I think it actually did help me. Really? Uh, yeah. Because I really hated it. Oh, you pushed against it. Yeah. Why? Why did this not feel familiar? Why did not feel this feel that not feel like question. home or comforting or? Because I think it was like it was really it was. Um, that is a really good question. Because I, I think the wasp part of it uh-huh. was much more powerful and I, I think i thought going to college i'd get away from the wasp part that i didn't like huh and instead it was there but like ten thousand times more i mean you're ta- tell I mean, me how tell me how oh i mean you're talking about kids who went to like saint paul's which i'd never even heard of as a private school mm-hmm. it's like it's so elite you mm-hmm. don't even know about it uh. um the spence school in new york city mm-hmm. Um, exeter exeter andover yeah. and it's like these are people like it's just a level of wealth and and not just wealth but i think also kind of like confidence and reassurance mm-hmm. that 
was just foreign to me, you know. Foreign or just was just more it was, concentrated or to it was a, foreign. A, it really? was foreign because again, like this is where this middle class versus mm-hmm. my sense growing up in this wealthy suburb was like you know, I was I was combative, uh, you know. I worked hard, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. I uh my parents didn't go to elite schools, mm-hmm. you know, and um we didn't, you know, have summer home. You know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah. it's these very tiny gradations of social class that, from the outsider perspective, it's like, what do you give me a break? Yeah. But <laughs> sure. internally, you know, yeah, you it, do notice it. You notice it, yeah. and so I really hated Princeton. I just I hated I, it. Yeah, I really did. What What did you hate the most? Was it the Was it the Was it the annoyingly irrational confidence of you know Great Barrington the Fifth who like never had to do a goddamn thing in his life, but you know just knew that the world was his for the taking, or you know the actual dumb rich kids that you had to like <laughs> you you know jaw dropping sitting right. next to them in school? Like what? what well, was those it? people. Yeah. It was those people plus then the shit libs. Ah. I, I I came to see them as like sort of flip sides of the same coin sure. basically sure. because the shit libs weren't really willing to like like criticize sure run I mean, up against every, that everybody's just like go team uh-huh. and, and one thing i've missed, never been is a go team kind of guy uh-uh. and so i just i think i came to see all of those people and as part of the same team which they are and part of the same social class and feel like even though I'm part of that social class, I don't feel a part of it anymore. Mm, and I, I think I don't feel a part of it anymore because a couple of reasons. One, it takes its own privilege for granted. Like uh, it, 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 it's the um, the cocooning thing, uh-huh, uh-huh. and I don't feel like I'm in that cocoon anymore. Mm. I'm, I'm talking about my experience. Yeah, and. Um, and uh, yeah, so partly it's that, and partly it's that the liberal critique of that, you know, feels kind of flimsy to me and feels like, well, all you want is to be a part of this. Mm. Like, that's all you want. Mm. And in a way, that's all I wanted when I was sure. in high school. And I was like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Like, I, I want to get rid of it. I want to blow it up. I don't want to be a part of it anymore because there's something here and I've, I've got to <laughs> find it. I don't want to be a part of this anymore because because it's not real. It's not it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have an impact. It's 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 like, you know, self-fulfilling in a, but in an empty way. Why? What? Because it's dead. You know, it's just there's nothing there. Say that. But say that a different way. Say that. Say what you mean. Well, part of being oblivious to the world around you. Mm hmm is not being thoughtful not and, and i don't mean smart yeah i really don't mean because these people are all smart yeah, yeah, yeah but uh it's not interrogating ah the world it's not noticing things uh, it's not interrogating it's not interrogating yourself it's mm-hmm. not interrogating your friends mm-hmm. it's all about um making things as smooth and easy as possible mm-hmm. and i was never like a smooth easy person like i just I, yeah. it's not my personality okay. and so i just you know rubbed up against it more and more and more mm-hmm. and at first it just feels very personal and kind of psychological but increasingly with time and reading it starts feeling no this is, this is political you know uh, this is this is about social class in America and how it reproduces itself. And this is what a ruling class looks like. Mm-hmm. And this is what it acts like. This, this is, is what operates. it acts like. And I don't want to be a part of it. Like uh, I want to have nothing 
I can't say nothing to do with it because it wasn't like I dropped out of college or anything. Sure. But, but um, I don't want to I don't want to uh, assume a, a posture of Slavin fealty to it. Yeah. Ah, okay. Exactly. Did you before we get to the turn, did you lose your mind when you got to Princeton? Did you like did you appreciate that, you know, they even though, you know, they were noxious and whatever, they had great drugs or you got to like ride on someone's private jet to like start using summer as a verb. Like, did you lose your mind? Tell the truth. No, I'm t- I'm, I don't I don't lie. I promise you. You didn't I lose did. your mind at all. No, no, no. I mean, I probably got, you know, a little kind of alienated and depressed. Really? Yeah. Like, I didn't feel, I didn't feel at home there. I mean, the, I went away. You were uncomfortable socially. I mean, I had very good friends. Sure. But, yeah, I, I, I hated the social scene there. Uh, you I didn't just, join any of the supper clubs or? Well, we all did, but not the elite, not the selective ones. We just, it's a lottery. Cause, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, um in your junior and senior year, there's only, like basically there's only one place to eat. Yeah, yeah. And so there are these selective ones that mm-hmm. are that's you know whatever. And then mm-hmm. ours was just lottery. You know, you just whatever. Yeah, true. Okay, okay. So you didn't lose your mind. You you were you were maybe depressed and 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 you know not fully comfortable in that environment. Um, but when uh, you and, started and bitter, I would say like I you bitter know, angry, not huh. bitter angry interesting yeah no no i was angry like i just didn't you know like it and uh and i didn't like the people and their you know just their kind of attitude toward the world yeah Mm, um i really disliked that and i really disliked you know the liberal weenies um (laughs) who were just like you know we're smart Mm. uh i i really i really came to hate Mm. that smart equals virtuous equals Ah. successful I, I really, really, uh, you know, there's a couple of very visceral things that one has, yeah. you know, and that's one of them. Okay. Um, you know, because it's not, it's not the kind of intelligence that I value, which mm-hmm. is about, like I said, noticing things, being surprised by things, interrogating things, mm-hmm. um, cutting, you know, just being against the grain, uh, not in a kind of contrarian way, sure. but just, you know. Open yeah. to open, open to killing your own darlings, like right. cha- being able to change your mind w- right. if and when uh, new information comes. Uh, not, I mean, not even that, because I, I wouldn't say I'm always open to things when new. Inf- I mean, we all have I- worldviews that are not. Yeah, you, know, you maybe get one or two transformations of them in your life, uh-huh. but if it happens more often than not, you're probably a little unstable. <laughs> unstable. <laughs> sure, but not in an unmoored way. But but be open to interrogating new information to be able to process it and either incorporate it into the existing, the existing ah, firmament, or or reject it because you know after analyzing it and considering it, actually ah this is still bullshit. Uh-huh. Right, and also I mean you, the way you put it, I think is right, which is I also looked at my academic work as like life work i didn't ah, even an undergrad oh yeah okay yeah what was your major uh history oh yeah okay. but you know i read a lot of frankfurt school mm. and you know that's that's really about thinking about like theory as something that's you know kind of integral to oneself in relationship to the world sure and um that's another thing i hated was like people who just took this very instrumental idea of um learning you know that it's just all about you know i want to go be, go to law school and be successful and that kind of stuff i just i hated that mm, i see okay so we're around junior year what 
what happened that that created the more seismic shift not not the not the kind of uh, marginal change from kind of uh, amorphous conservative as a young child to you know kind of like a boring you know not not incisive liberal in high school through up through junior year but like what what were you learning what were you, who were you encountering what were you what were you wrestling with that that really caused the like escape hatch to the left <laughs> in your around your junior year so i think it was two things mm-hmm. one is like I said, reading the Frankfurt School and kind of critical theory, mm-hmm. I think um, really changed me. You know, it, you start, you know, looking at things like advertising ah. and, you know, what are the class messages? What are the mm-hmm. um, gendered messages about, you know, and how do those relate? So the Frankfurt School was, you know, really interested in Freud and Marx. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was really into all that stuff. And it's, again, it's a way of really connecting one's own personal self and experience Mm -hmm. with these larger political questions in a way that nothing ever before Mm -hmm. had, Hmm. you know, I mean, and in a way that really spoke, I think started making sense of my upbringing Mm -hmm. and social class and, you know, where I was from. Uh So that, so so it was, it was your initial encounter with the Frankfurt school of, of critical theory that had you in retrospect, kind of putting together the puzzle pieces of like how what the social forces had had to be for you to have the upbringing that you had and kind of the assumptions about the world your views on the world up until that point exactly okay and it's funny that you put it that way because it's not this you know, the social forces I mean, even that mm-hmm. is like a seismic shift in one's self-understanding sure. if you're growing up thinking that you're just an individual uh-huh and suddenly you're kind of this vector of mm. money mm-hmm. and class and Labor. race and yeah. this and yeah. that. You know, it's like um, that's a pretty transformative sure. experience. I mean, funny, I my child who's 13, um, they had a to do something on the American dream in school and they have to interview someone. So they interviewed me mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. And I ended up saying you know when i was this a couple weeks ago and i was like you know when i was younger i thought it was like all my effort but i realized now it was like and tremendous privilege and and you know we're a very political family but you know they were really resistant to thinking that they themselves are just a kind of vector of Uh, you know and not not a a fully encapsulated individual exactly apart from exactly Ah, interesting interesting And, and and they weren't raised I mean, I think we really, um, like I said, it's a very political family yeah. and in a way that my family wasn't at all. So I don't, you know, I don't know to what extent are there subliminal messages that, you know, we're sending that are, you know, more individualistic, which is totally possible. Um, this, it's is probably it, not that, though. It could also be, you know, they're 13. It's yeah. sort of hard to, you <laughs> know, right. imagine yourself. Um, but it was, yeah, it was just interesting how, you know, they, they, they think about themselves now and maybe, you know, how I thought about myself when I was that age mm-hmm. versus how I came to see myself mm-hmm. and my family. Okay. Um, so that was one thing. And then I also spent that year in England. Ah. And so this is 87, 88. I was Ooh. at Oxford and, you know, another elite place. Yeah. But, you know, England, you know, still had at the time a kind of pretty vibrant socialist a tradition and so i had you know friends who were just socialists yeah did that and freak you out as a child of the 80s 
It was more intriguing to me. Huh. Um, it, you're right to ask the question. Yeah. Um, but I think I was sort of primed for it, um, having read the Frankfurt School. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, been sort of open to this, you know, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, they were like really impressed. Like, I, you know, they were my kind of people. It wasn't just that they were smart and, you know, that kind of stuff, but they were critical. You know, they were engaged. Critical of? Everything. Okay. Um, of their own class position. Like, they were very, and England is a much more kind of class conscious oh, where yeah. it was back then. I mm-hmm. don't know if it still is, but oh, I'm sure it is now. <laughs> um, so it was really nice to um, be like I felt like these were my people. Uh, like I'd finally found my people. What about them felt like you were at home with these people? Because they were very critical, but also very funny mm-hmm. and very warm. Like it was like a, a, a meshing of mm-hmm. like personal relations and politics. In you know. I don't feel this way anymore, but I think I felt for a long time in the States, like political conversations, there was something kind of artificial about them. Yeah. It just, if, yeah, it feels like it's not in people's bones. It feels like it's mm. posturing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and it didn't feel like that there. It felt like huh. deep within. Ah, uh, it was in their marrow. It was, it, it was, was, and they meant it and they, and they were serious about it exactly. in a way that wasn't just uh, meant to be like a signal about exactly. one's, you know, virtue or, you know, exactly. class aspiration or whatever. Exactly. Ah, okay. Interesting. So what was, so describe. And, and yeah. I should say one of the things, you know, and then we, you know, go to a lot of demonstrations, which uh-huh. I'd never done before. Oh, really? Okay. Um, that's not true. That's not true, actually. My first demonstration was Jesse Jackson speaking at Princeton the end of my freshman year. Whoa. And you were demonstrating against Jesse? No, 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 no. In favor. It was for oh, divestment. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, divestment against the apartheid state. Yeah. Ah. Huh, huh, and, huh. um. That was my first demonstration. It's kind of funny. Why is that funny? You have such a fond look in your eye right now. Well, on the one hand, it's like, again, how sheltered I was growing up. You know, my kid's been going to demonstrations since they were, you know, two years old. <laughs> and and it's kind of what you were saying about when you asked me, were I afraid of the socialist given? And um, it did feel like, you know, I was doing something naughty or something you know like <laughs> nah. I, I you know it felt subversive yeah mm-hmm. well no subversive isn't quite right that's gives it, it, it i mean it's too po- it is political but it's too political like it was like you know smoking a cigarette or something like when you uh, you know that kind of naughty, a thing. yeah yeah I, there's a better word for that but not naughty gets to it like yeah. it was like a kind of uh like tacitly forbidden taboo right. a little bit exactly ah, okay. exactly uh-huh. showing the wrist uh, <laughs> yeah uh, interesting so so what was the so describe the before and after was it was it just that the before you were kind of just you're just you know you were a you know middle class Jewish kid from Chappaqua just kind of going through the world but under but uh, processing you know uh, everything processing your 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 movement through the world as you know an expression of your you know focused individualist um effort and striving whereas the after was like oh wow i am one piece of a bigger social socioeconomic puzzle that started way before me um and is a is a result of forces that you know are are all around me that i 
that I can't necessarily see, but are always working, functioning in the background. Like was, was that the before and after was, was it something different, but like describe the before and after of that, of that moment. No, I I think that's, that's a big chunk of it, if not all of it. Mm. Um, I mean, that was, yeah, that was a big piece of it. And then the, the part I would add is, well, two things. One is like, going to demonstrations a mm-hmm. lot. And you started doing that more frequently. Yeah. Okay. And it started feeling less illicit, you know, ah. and feeling like, and, and, and feeling like, Oh, actually, no, there's a real point to this. This mm-hmm. is not just, you know, acting out or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there's really a thing here. There's a politic here. Yeah. There's a politics and it's, ser- it's serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For OG listeners keeping score, Corey is now the second interview guest that A, went to Princeton, and B, hated it. (laughs) Shout out to Rob for first putting me on to how radicalizing the Ivy League can be. (laughs) Now, in part two with Corey, more clashes at elite institutions, this time at Yale as a grad student and union organizer. And, and, and... How and why the left needs to recognize how weak the right is in our current political moment. Actually. <laughs> Part two is up on the Patreon over at patreon.com slash what's left to do. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's left to do. Okay, see you over on the Patreon. 